Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Same way. Fire service, you know, there's that old expression, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. Um, but I really mean it. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, going to need help. And a lot of the business people are going to be wondering what's going on. But the interesting thing is, as you fly over here, as I've done in the past, I've not seen this tornado damage, this much damage from a tornado. Um, you know, you think, but for the grace of God, why was I not 100 yards outside that line? Yes. Um, which makes it so different. So I think there's, anyway, I just what I'm, I just want you to know, I'm driving the governor crazy, calling him all the time. <laughs> but um, there may be things available that would be helpful six weeks, six months from now that you're unaware of. And so we're, I've instructed my team to make all aware of everything that is available from the federal level. That's President Biden in Kentucky surveying the damage from the tornadoes. Some people were asking, well, why did he go there and he didn't go to uh, Waukesha when six people were murdered when a guy decided to just run people over during a parade? And my answer was he didn't go to Waukesha because he's a political partisan. It didn't fit narrative. Black man kills white people in clear hate crime as the FBI would put it, it doesn't fit narrative, he doesn't go. He goes to a national disaster because that's what presidents do. It's not about one or the other. It's about what he actually refuses to align himself with. He can't go to Waukesha. He can't watch what happened there because it doesn't fit with the narrative and it hurts his party. That's... That's that's uh that's clear. Just so we understand each other of what's happening. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833 got Tony, 833-468-8669. That is the number. So he's in Kentucky. And yes, the people of Kentucky, just like some people in southern areas of Illinois, parts of Arkansas, parts of Tennessee, are gonna be uh able to get some some help from the federal government. I have no issue with this what i have an issue with with joe biden is making the claim that oh this is all climate change that's what's ugly as sin that's what's so evil and so awful and so terrible it is wrong as wrong can be this isn't a climate change conversation but i'm very used to the levels of misinformation that come here's a bit of misinformation this is representative sheila jackson lee uh, from texas democrat on the floor of the house i think the american people need to understand that uh, although there may be many concerns i am from texas as well i know the border is not in crisis it should be addressed Uh, we as texans know how to address it and the president biden vice president harris knows how to address it as other presidents have does that include Trump? Nah, no, I didn't think so. Did she just say there's no issue at the border? Uh, although there may be many concerns, I am from Texas as well. I know the border is not in crisis. Well, that's a lie. We're, we're not debating here, guys. There, there, there's, there's no easy way to say it. It's a lie. 
Sheila Jackson Lee, the representative from Texas, is lying. End of list. Call me in any name you want. What does it matter? It is what it is. The border is indeed in crisis. Uh, Joe Biden did indeed not show up to Waukesha where six people were murdered in a hate crime because it didn't fit the right narrative. Truth. See how easy it is? Just right off the tongue there. Truth doesn't come easy to some. This is the story of Adam Schiff. And to share, to understand this story, which is just breaking, let me start with where the video is. The January 6th committee. Ah, the vaunted January 6th committee that's going to save America. (laughs) A riot took place on January 6th. It was not an insurrection. Another lie that is told. It was a riot. It was disgusting. My take. I don't want that stuff. Not an insurrection. Just so we're clear. But they are moving forward with this January 6th committee like somehow they really are doing good work. They're not doing any good work. This will release sometime in September to attack Republicans to try and win the progressives, uh, the, the midterms. And then they'll bring it up again if Trump should indeed run for president, which I'm hearing he will. But, you know, again, that's just a rumor. So we'll see. But this is Adam Schiff, the despicable congressman from California. I want you to hear him in his own words. I want to display just a few of the message he received from people in Congress. The committee is not naming these lawmakers at this time as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. I want you to stop there. I'm going to read it to you again. On January 6, 2021, this is allegedly a text that went from a lawmaker to Mark Meadows, then White House Chief of Staff. We discussed the text messages, and and I, I, let me just start with the basics. The text messages uh, that supposedly came from Hannity and, and Laura Ingram and um, oh uh, some others, uh, Donald Trump Jr. sent text messages. They don't show people saying, good, an insurrection, let's take the country back. They show people saying, my God, put an end to this. Donald Trump Jr. saying to the chief of staff about his dad, he's got to make a statement tonight. They were disgusted by what they saw, just like many of us were. Just like many of us were. It really does... These text messages show that the 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 idea that the, the marketing from the political left that the Fox News types wanted the insurrection were all behind this and organized this. Well, it all falls apart when you see the text messages. But this text message is special. Lawmaker text to Mark Meadows, then chief of staff to Donald Trump. 
On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. That's what you heard Adam Schiff say. That is how the text reads. The problem is that text is doctored. And the committee admits it. The Federalist has the story. Sean Davis reporting. In the graphic, the period at the end of the sentence was added inadvertently, says a spokesman. The select committee is responsible for and regrets the error. So you end it with uh, that he believes are unconstitutional is no electoral votes at all. And you put a period in. Boop. You're saying that was inadvertent, but it ends the sentence as if that's the total thought. It turns out they did a little more than just add a period. They cut that sentence in half. They eliminated the final two paragraphs of a detailed legal summary. The text was not from a lawmaker. The text message, as is being reported by the Federalist, it was an exchange that Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio forwarded verbatim to Mark Meadows from an attorney, summarizing that attorney's four-page legal memorandum. So, let's do this again. Let's hear Adam Schiff in his own words. I want to display just a few of the message he received from people in Congress. The committee is not naming these lawmakers at this time as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. That is how it's presented by Adam Schiff to the January 6th committee. That is not the quote. It was indeed edited and it was indeed manipulated, written to be manipulated, said by his own voice as manipulated. Am I to believe anything this lowlife says? Are you? Are you to believe anything he says? This story is at thefederalist.com. If you say to me, yeah, Tony, but it's not really a big deal. I'll say to you that a lawmaker manipulated and edited a text message to provide it as evidence of some level of collusion between lawmakers and the President of the United States to overthrow America. You don't think it's a big deal? Honestly, I'm not so sure we could be friends anymore. It's a massive deal. It isn't an oops mistake. It is a firing offense. It is a go-to-jail offense. It is to an extent, a treasonous offense. Holy crap. 
Now, this is all breaking right now, and more is going to come out. But I wanted to get to a part two. It was something that Sean Hannity said. And, and I, 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 don't, I don't know, Sean. I, I, I have done a show only once in my entire career. We've been at one or two uh, events. I say hello, and he has said hello. He's been very lovely, and I think he said hello because he's, a guy said hello to him. I, I don't think he could pick me out of a lineup, uh, to, to be honest. I, I, just, I just don't. But Hannity sent text messages. What in the world is going on? In terms of these, uh, in terms of these riots, and Hannity made made a point of saying that it very much seems that um, Liz Cheney was simply trying to uh, go after him personally, attack him personally, wreck him personally. Um, I think it's very, very acceptable in watching this and watching how Liz Cheney has um, discussed these text messages that she really is a cheap person. We're not going to say that she doesn't truly believe that what happened on January 6th is awful. I'm not saying that. I think she believes what happened on January 6th is truly awful, and I'm not telling her she can't believe it. But the glee in which she is going after a a, uh, television host as if he is personally responsible And 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 playing it off like she has some kind of value system at play. I think that's. I think it shows her as well uglier than than thought. Because first it was okay. She's just a never trumper. Nah, this is personal. And and I get you, you, she's taking slings and arrows, and maybe it is personal. But when it becomes personal, dude, got to go. When it becomes personal, you can't stick around. When it becomes personal, you are no longer a value. And there should be real questions asked uh, by the Republican Party or to the Republican Party about why she is allowed to stay. This this is she you know it it's the beginning of Top Gun and there's Cougar turning in his wings. She's too close to the edge. That's her. That's her. She is just too close. So I think that the the derision that she has gotten over her take on January 6th I think is acceptable. I think that if she was going to go down this road, she had to know there was going to be pushback. But to take these text messages, which I think show Hannity and a series of people saying, what in the world? You got to speak out. You got to say this. What are you doing? Come on, let's go. I think it shows that there was a sense of urgency. And I don't think Trump acted urgently enough. That's my take. But to take such glee in trying to uh, take down Sean, 
I don't know the man. I, I swear to you, we've never had a cup of coffee together. I, I just think it's cheap. I think that Liz Cheney has absolutely no idea how bad she looks after this. And I don't think there is any way at this stage of the game she wins anything in Wyoming ever again. They can prove me wrong, but I'm doubting. I'm Tony Katz. So this fight between Elon Musk and Senator Warren is just amazing because Elon Musk, uh, he, he was named Times Person of the Year. All right, I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight. Sure. So she, Representative, not Representative, Senator Elizabeth Warren, is bothered by this and uh, uh, tweets, as she has been known to do, that maybe... We should have the person of the year paying their fair share of taxes instead of freeloading. To which Elon Musk is like, what are you, what? And refers to her and and says to her, you sound like one of my friend's moms when I was a kid who would just yell at us for no reason and then calls her Senator Karen. Oh, good Lord. But then he starts digging in. If you opened your eyes for two seconds, you would realize that we'll pay more taxes than any American in history this year. He's uh, uh, scheduled to pay uh, more than $15 billion in taxes. I mean, that's a lot of money. Maybe she thinks it's not enough money. And then he continues with, don't spend it all at once. Oh, wait, you did already. These, These progressives who believe that they are touched from on high and that everybody else isn't doing it right and they have to be, you know, they have to stand up. Elizabeth Warren's out of her head. Elon Musk has produced more for society than Elizabeth Warren ever has. Just like Donald Trump has produced more for society than Bill de Blasio ever has. Just fact. But I do want to take it back to this January 6th committee because they are holding Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress for not working with the January 6th committee. And then there are subpoenas. Does any of this lead to, well, people going to jail? Does any of this lead to anything? Is this an abuse of power from Congress? William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, he's up with us next. Schedule be up with us. Let's kind of break this down so we have an understanding of what it is Congress is doing here and how far off the rails they may have gone. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So Mark Meadows, the former White House Chief of Staff, is held in contempt of Congress. What do you do with that information? You see uh, how the January 6th committee is working to hold people in contempt, and you wonder, well, is this a normal thing? And no, (laughs) no, it's not. Tony Katz, 
Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. William Jacobson joins us right now. Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, LegalInsurrection.com and the Legal Insurrection Foundation. Both very, very worthy uh, uh, places you should be going daily to get information. And you're making the argument that the subpoenas are invalid. So let's Let's, I guess, start where we're, we're going to start. Uh, it, Mark Meadows, former White House chief of staff, the January 6th committee wants answers to things that President Trump was doing uh, while the, the riot took place. It was not an insurrection in my view. Uh, he is saying those uh, communications are privileged. They are saying absolutely not. He has said, I'm not going to work with the committee. They hold him in contempt of Congress. So first, is he allowed to make the claim of executive privilege? And second, is this what contempt of Congress was created for? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, it's not my argument that the subpoena is invalid. It's Mark Meadows' argument in his court filings. So he filed court papers alleging a lot of things. But one of the things, and the first thing he alleges, is that the committee was not constituted according to the um, rule uh, to the uh, resolution passed by the House enabling the committee to be formed. And therefore, it's an invalidly uh, assembled committee, and therefore they have no power. The chairman has no power to issue a subpoena. So that's Meadows' argument. He's got other arguments that the documents are protected, but that goes to the foundation of whether the chairman of this committee can even issue a proper subpoena. And that will be decided by the court where the committee was not was put together in violation of the House resolution. So that's issue number one. Yes, I think Mark Meadows has a, you know, uh, chief, former chief of staff, closest advisor, at least, you know, in the White House to the president uh, can, uh, you know, can honor the request of the former president to protect those communications. In terms of, you know, contempt of Congress, it's a very rare circumstance historically that someone is criminally prosecuted for that. There are many Obama administration officials who just thumbed their nose at Congress and nobody ever prosecuted them. I think the last time was during the Reagan administration. I was just looking at this. Um, So really, it's been decades until Steve Bannon that anyone has been prosecuted by the Department of Justice at the request of the Congress. So it's unusual, it's not normal. Uh, But, of course, we have a DOJ now, which is highly politicized, even worse than during the Obama years. So when you talk about – because this gets strange, right? You talk about the Justice Department doesn't do this. And I I don't disagree about a a politicized Justice Department under Merrick Garland. We've seen what he's done to parents uh, regarding their kids' education uh, and school boards. But why is – what are they going to prosecute him on? How does that work? And again, I go back to the to, to the first part. Is finding somebody in contempt of Congress really so rare and really uh, that out of the realm of where Congress usually acts? Well, Congress has an alternative. Congress could go to court and ask a court to force Mark Meadows to turn over these documents, as opposed to going to the DOJ and saying, throw the guy in jail. So that's the that's the difference here. Normally, there's a civil process used where Congress can compel. Um, They have the ability to do that. Uh, But it's the criminal prosecution piece that is rarely used and has not been used in decades until Steve Bannon. And I don't. And the reason is nobody actually thought the Department of Justice would do such a thing uh, until Merrick Garland. 
And so that just shows you how politically um, marginalized or politically uh, maligned the Department of Justice has become. Uh, the Department of Justice, of course, is is aggressively, some say overly aggressively, prosecuting anybody who set foot on the Capitol that day, whether that day, whether they committed a you know, an independent crime or not, whether they committed any violence. But that's a different issue. Uh, but the Department of Justice has become so politicized that I think the Biden administration have had every reason to think they would prosecute people for this. And of course, or I should say the Congress, too. And, and they appear to be doing that. So that's what I mean. The Congress had other ways to force Mark Meadows to get turn over these documents. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, and the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, producer Ari and I had a uh, an actual, I, I don't I wouldn't want to call it a fight, but let, let's call it a fight uh, about this on, on air yesterday. Because I had made the point that you can't have an insurrection if people aren't showing up with weapons. And Ari's point was that the, the, the shaman, the guy who was dressed in the, in the Viking hat, uh, he was charged with carrying a weapon because he had a, he had a, a large stick with him. I'm, of course, talking about firearms. But yes, the guy was charged with carrying a weapon. Is that an example of uh, the politicization that we're seeing here, that we're taking something that clearly wasn't used as a weapon? It, 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 he clearly didn't have intent as a weapon. They decided it was a, 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 a weapon and and decided to charge him with it. Uh, and I know I, we, we used as the example, well, what about the skateboard in, in Kenosha? Well, that was used as a weapon, and that's why uh, you had Kyle Rittenhouse with the ability to then defend himself from this weapon that was being used against him. Is this charge against this this shaman for the weapons charge, is that the kind of politic, politicization you're seeing? Well, nobody has been charged with an insurrection here. I mean, that's what we have Understood. to keep in mind. Okay, so um, yes, I mean the DOJ has been extraordinarily aggressive, and that I think is probably a good example. The uh, it has nothing to do with the use of the skateboard because the person who uh, got shot carrying the skateboard wasn't just carrying a skateboard on the street. He swung it and hit Kyle Rittenhouse in the head twice. Okay, at the moment he was shot. So there, there one has nothing to do with the other, and I think that you know. Um, Certainly, I have no objection if somebody committed violence, if somebody sprayed mace at a police officer, if somebody hit a police officer in the head. Frankly, if they kicked down a door or they did any of those things, those are all violent crimes that should be prosecuted. But the Department of Justice has gone so far beyond that anybody who literally set foot onto the Capitol that day is being charged, even if they did nothing else that was violent or criminal, um, charged aggressively, not charged with trespass or something like that. But, you know, a, a search to to lock everybody up uh, and this national you know, manhunt for anybody who might have been in the vicinity the, that day. Nobody's objecting to violent people being prosecuted, um, you know, strenuously. Uh, but we're talking about nonviolent people that the government has decided to to go overboard on. So now let's take a look at how this committee uh, utilizing the Justice Department, uh, what it is that they can go after. If you take uh, Steve Bannon, if you take uh, Mark Meadows, regardless of what anybody thinks of them, and you decide uh, to go after them with the Justice Department, utilizing the Justice Department, what are you charging them with, right? We know that they're in contempt of Congress. What is the actual crime, and do they go to jail, or are they forced to, are, are compelled to appear? 
What happens? Well, I'll have to go back and look at the Bannon uh, indictment, which I haven't looked at in a while, and see what statute or if they cited a statute. But Congress does have an inherent – courts have held Congress has an inherent ability to uh, hold somebody in contempt. It's what you do with it that is the question. So I'm going to have to go back and look at that Bannon indictment. But uh, I assume their theory is that because Congress has the power to hold somebody in contempt, that that is a criminal violation – and that's being prosecuted. I'm just not sure jurisdictionally which statute uh, the Department of Justice is citing for that. But they shouldn't be involved in this. There were civil remedies that Congress could have pursued. Frankly, there probably were civil remedies that the DOJ could have pursued. But the criminalization of politics is the problem here. And we've seen it with Merrick Garland and the parents movement. And we've, we're seeing it across the board that DOJ is being weaponized for political purposes and seems very happy to be put in that position under Joe Biden. Before I let you go, sir, you've written and covered a lot about a lot of the trials going on, and one of them was the Jesse Smollett case, found guilty five of the six charges against him for basically lying to officers, lying about what happened. The crime never took place. He set it up himself. Five out of the six, is that the way you saw it? Did you see him as being found guilty, and will he do any jail time? Well, I, you know, I, I wasn't clear, you know, because the uh, trial wasn't televised, so you only have news reports. So it wasn't clear to me that, you know, which officer did he lie to for which count. So it's clear he lied about it. And I think what the jury did is for whatever the reason, that one person who is uh, part of count six found that th- whatever statement was made to that person was not a lie. But clearly he he lied about this whole thing. It was a whole setup, and it was almost delusional and um, you know ridiculous that he took the stand to try to defend it. I guess he figured my theory was he was going for jury nullification. That's a tactic where you, you kind of have to admit you did the crime, but you're asking the jury not to find you guilty anyway. Uh, it's called jury nullification, and that, that unfortunately happens. I think that was his gambit, that the only way he avoids getting found guilty is if the jury says – we don't like it. We think this is a racist prosecution. This is all about race. Even if he did pull a hoax, it's still a problem, uh, and we're not going to find him guilty. That obviously did not happen. Uh, and whether he does jail time, I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd have to check the Illinois uh, sentencing guidelines, but he is convicted on five charges, not just one. Uh, so, you know, I, I hope the judge at least sends some sort of message. Look, the guy, I mean, I. I'm not expecting he goes away for years, but, you know, unless there's some major penalty on him, it, it, nobody will learn a lesson from it. And unfortunately, there are way too many of these hate crime hoaxes that happen. We all remember, or at least you and I probably remember, Tawana Brawley and Al Sharpton, whatever year that was, the early 90s. Um, you know, there are way too many of these, you know, uh, saying that somebody attacked you physically because of your race is a very serious allegation that as a society we take seriously and we want to prosecute because that's you know uh, all assaults are bad but an assault based on race has a particular impact on society but when you make that accusation falsely uh, knowingly falsely for publicity purposes uh, that's pretty terrible and i hope the judge takes that into account here 
William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. Just yesterday, just the other day, I should say, I did a story about Joy Behar at The View because she's funny. And what's funny is she feels something, so she says something and thinks that's intellect. And she she doesn't care what she says yesterday. She only cares about what she's saying at the moment. That's the only thing that matters. Why are you talking about yesterday? And tomorrow she'll say the same thing about what she said today. Well, she was worried that this Supreme Court, so radical and so conservative and so concerned about states' rights, like, for example, on abortion and the idea of viability and whether or not Mississippi can determine viability, and that would therefore do away with Roe v. Wade, which it should because Roe v. Wade is a usurpation of states' rights, that this court, they'll do away with Brown versus Board of Ed, and they'll bring back segregation. And I said, Joy! They're already doing away with, you know, not do away with segregation. They'll bring back segregation. They'll do away with Brown versus Board of Ed, and they'll bring back segregation. And I said, Joy, they're already bringing back segregation. Look at the, what they do on college campuses. Only people of color here. Only these students there. White students not allowed. White students pay more. You actually see schools where they try and create classrooms of just black students and just white students, you know, to make things better. Well... In Denver, the Centennial Elementary School had Families of Color Playground Night. A clear violation of the Constitution of Denver, uh, of Colorado, never mind uh, the United States. They actually put it on the sign, Families of Color Playground Night. Which would, of course, make you understand uh, that white families are not welcome. Now, I don't know if all of the families of color are welcome. You know, maybe they only they only allow so many colors. I don't know. But the school principal confirmed this, confirmed that this was happening, and then said, and this is the part that is... So bothersome. Denver Public Schools remains committed to fostering, cultivating, and preserving a culture of inclusion and belonging where our students, families, and team members are safe and welcomed. It's interesting that no matter where you go in the country, they all speak the same ridiculous language. We are here to meet the needs of all our families and students. The school leaders at Centennial received a specific request from families to create a space of belonging. Centennial was responsive to their request. We support efforts like this as they provide... What, what's the word I'm looking for? As, as they provide well, connections, that's it, support and inspiration for families which share similar experiences and come from similar backgrounds. Efforts like this are about uniting us, not dividing us. So they got some parents who said, we want a night just for people who are black and brown. And the school said, absolutely. And they think that's not divisive. It's Orwellian. War is, what well, was a peace, peace is war. And, uh, you know, and now uh, dividing is uniting. 
You purposefully divided the students. You purposefully divided families. You purposely divided your neighborhood. When people make requests like this, you say no. We're not going to create divisions based on race. What the hell is wrong with you? As a matter of fact, get out of our school. But you don't have a principal who believes in this. You have a principal who gives lip service to the idea of a culture of inclusion and belonging and therefore excludes people. This is why you need to fight your school boards. This is why you need to take control. Double and redouble your efforts. These people are unserious, ugly, awful people who should not be allowed to educate your kids. And if you want any proof that DEI is about hate, there it is. DEI divides. Diversity, equity, inclusion has nothing to do with inclusion. It has to do with division. It has to do with creating hate, teaching kids to hate others or hate themselves. No thank you. Fight, parents. Fight like your kids' lives depend on it because, well, they do. On Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. That's where you go. Go check that out right now. This is Tony Katz today.